today we've gone for a different kind of episode for Appalachian Anglican. Um, it's just going to be me. So I'm Daryl. <laughs> uh, here's what we want to do this week. Since we are in the, the early thick of Lent, I thought it'd be good just to kind of share, how do you use the Book of Common Prayer? This is a difficult um, surprisingly, a difficult thing for people who've never been in a tradition that has, you know, written liturgies, which is almost the entirety of the free church, uh, Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, the Baptistic, and the, um, or as they, as everybody goes by now, you know, they're non-denominational. Most of them are what you would consider free church, meaning there's no real form that is expected to be used other than hopefully you know, the, the Holy Scripture. But as, as you guys know, listening to, to us regularly, we show through the teaching of Scripture that the Bible doesn't even teach that, the way that it's, it's practiced in many places. And the prayer book, as we have also shared, is not something that was written 500 years ago without any, any um, precedent in Christian history. It, no, it, it's something that goes back even to the books of Moses, when, when God gave the law to Moses, that he was prescribing liturgy. And that's where the scripture comes from and how we know what books comprise the Old and the New Testaments and why we make a distinction even with the apocryphal or the deuterocanonical books, you know, because these, these books have been the texts God's people have used in their worship life together what it means to be the people of God. We've talked about that a great deal. We will probably do another episode on liturgy, building upon the, the very you know first one we did um, last year. So it makes more sense for you. But today I thought we would just do something really practical. And if you have questions, send them in, but um, it's going to be helpful just to kind of walk through a couple basic things in the prayer book that will help you use it really easily. And then you'll discover that you aren't using the prayer book for devotional or liturgical purposes. You perceive that the Holy Spirit has, has had a hand in, in indirectly shaping this tradition and that you're being shaped by it, which is the, the overall objective. All right. So you should find in your uh, the podcast notes a link for the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Now, the principles I'm going to share work for any of the prayer books from 1549 to 1552, the uh, various revisions, the 1662, 1928, oh, there's the 1787, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You kind of get the idea. But we're going to use the 2019 since that's the one the ACNA just put out after you know about a decade of trial uh, of beta testing, if you want to use some of that language language amongst the churches. And it's the one we use here in our parish. So it, it's, um, it's a good one. I would recommend it. But as I've said, you could use what, we're what I'm going to share with you today with any of the other prayer books. So if you have a prayer book um, and you have the ability right now, you're not listening to this in your car, you have the ability to grab your prayer book and I'll, I'll page reference for you. I'll give you page numbers. If you're using a PDF download, um, you can use the page numbers on the the PDF screen, even though it may not translate directly if you type it in, in a search. All right. So let's just start in the very beginning, very beginning. 
of the prayer book at the table of contents. All right. So you will notice right away the breakdown of the contents of the prayer book. Hello. Uh, the daily office. Okay. The great litany and decalogue. Then the section for the Holy Eucharist. Turn the page. At the top, you've got baptism and confirmation. Then the next section are pastoral rites. These are the things that will be used by um, pastors, ordained clergy. Although I will tell you that they are incredibly beneficial for devotional prayer. All of this is, by the way, whether it's a, a, some, a service that you are participating in or celebrating if you're clergy. And if you're clergy, I hope you've already been through this with the prayer book, but maybe this will help with a couple things. Um, but the whole prayer book is, is incredibly beneficial for devotional prayer and study, whether it's a service that you are participating in or not, because the doctrine and theology of scripture of the church is the prayer book. All right. So pastoral rites, the Psalter, the Episcopal services. On the top of the next page, special liturgies for Lent and Holy Week. Crucial time in the church's calendar. Collects and occasional prayers. There are um, so, so many occasional prayers in this prayer book of the 2019 that you will find yourself um, laden with copies of, of prayers for any number of things. And I mean, there are there are a couple hundred, um, you know, all, all told. So. Well, I should say, if you go to it and you flip flip through it, you're going to find just in this section of collects, uh, let's see, on page 683, there's 125 collects just in this section, that section of the prayer book, that are specific topics to pray about or that you can use for prayer, right? Uh, back to the table of contents. After the collects and occasional prayers, you have the calendars and the lectionaries. And then lastly, documentary foundations documentary foundations okay that is the contents and so let me let me start now by saying if you go to the daily office flip to page 11 maybe you can hear me turning the pages so you uh helps you while you're turning the pages all right so page 11 daily morning prayer that's the header that's the name of this particular form okay then you have the italics right underneath it those are called rubrics, R-U-B-I-C-S, rubrics. Rubrics means instructions. And so sometimes you will read rubrics where they say, then you will do this, or then the celebrant will do this, or, you know, there's a, there's a definitiveness to it, meaning this needs to be done here. Many other times you will see in the rubrics the word may, saying there's options here that you can swap in and out for something else. Because there's a change in the, the season of the year. The liturgical season is changing. So in, as, as it is here in daily morning prayer, these three scripture verses are great scripture verses to use at any time when you begin morning prayer. But as you see in the rubrics, if you turn to page 27 and between pages 27 and 29, you will find a list of other opening verses of scripture that are particular to particular needs uh, or seasons. So in Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, you can see that on page 27, there are particular scripture verses that help focus our hearts and our minds 
in what we're going to be praying about, highlighting that we are a we are entering into or observing or celebrating, depending on the season, a season not individually, but as part of God's corporate church. Okay. Next, you see the confession of sin. The officiant says to the people. So if you're praying this by yourself, you just keep keep praying, you know, keep cruising through it. But if we were if you were celebrating with one other person, you would, you know, and there's no clergy, you know, there's just two of you. One of you would opt as the, the officiant or the celebrant, and the other would be doing the responses. So you can get a call and a response prayer just with two people. That, that's a great, it's a great blessing. Okay. Well, you'll notice there's two, two forms here, the lengthy, uh, you know, statement about the preface to confession, and then the single sentence, just let us confess our sins to almighty God. One of the things that we do here, and it's a common practice is that we use the longer forms on fast days and penitential seasons. So through Lent, we use the longer paragraph because it takes longer. You're offering more of your time and more of your heart and more of your thought as you're engaging in prayer to the Lord. Okay. Notice that the rubrics call for kneeling when we confess our sins when we're together. If you're by yourself and want to go with the rubrics, that's that's a great thing. But don't feel if you don't, you know, if you're in the car and you don't kneel during the confession of sin because you're listening to to this while you're driving to work that you've sinned against God. That that's not that's not how to understand this. All right. After the confession of sin, you will see um, the priest stands and has two different kinds of absolution, a longer and a shorter. The shorter one is more direct, which is great as well, uh, you know, for any season. And then you'll notice that the, the deacon or the layperson has a different kind of absolution because the deacon doesn't have sacramental grace to pronounce the forgiveness of sins. But the deacon, as the embodiment of the Son of Man who has come to serve, teaches the church how to pray. And so the deacon petitions God for a particular confession. All right. So you can see that breakdown here. We're not going to go all the way through morning prayer, just in case you're curious. I'm going to highlight a couple of things so we can get through the bulk of the prayer book. So I hope that that just that intro side there helps. Okay. Turn to page 14. Again, you'll notice these things called antiphons. Now it's been traditional that they were chanted or sung. You'll see that in the rubrics, they may be sung or said. The earth is the Lord's for he made it. Oh, come, let us adore him. Or however, whatever tone you want to use. There are prescribed ones, by the way, but you've got a variety. If you don't know them, make it up. <laughs> uh, oh, no, he said, make, make up an antiphon. Listen, if you're by yourself and you're praying and you take the time and you start to, to intone or to chant some of these things that you've never heard, you're not going to hurt yourself and you're not going to be doing something detrimental. Um, if you are musically inclined, I would recommend that you look up the musical resources and figure out the precise tones and the options that you have and learn those. And because you're already musically inclined, you'll find, find it as a great benefit. If you don't know how to chant, then read it. <laughs> you, can, you can read and reading it out loud, taking the time to read out loud is a great benefit. Okay. You'll notice on the top of page 15, the extra verses from the Venite, which is a compilation, uh, a portion of Psalm 95, 
this extra portion that is used during Lent, but not typically used in other seasons. Okay. And you've got the, another option with the Jubilate. Um, page 16, you'll notice that this is when the Psalms would be read and you would flip to the Psalter. So that's not printed here because the Psalms will change morning and evening. This is morning prayer. So the, uh, the assessment for morning prayer services um, change. Okay. So the, but by day, they change by day each day. So for, for a 30 day cycle. And then in this prayer book, you have the option for a 60 day cycle for the Psalms, but it's traditional Anglican practice to pray all 150 Psalms every 30 days. And they're broken up into morning and evening. Okay. So you see that there. Also the next section on top seven, the top of 17 for the lessons, one or more lessons as appointed are read. The lectionary goes straight into the back of the prayer book to the lectionary and you will find, um, let me just give you the page reference in case you've got, you do have this in front of you. For those of you that do not, bear with us for a second. Um, page 738, you will see the, uh, the morning prayer assignments, uh, the, lection, the lectionary for morning prayer lessons, beginning in Genesis 1. So they've, our, our uh, compilers for this prayer book have opted again to go with the more traditional Anglican practice of reading as much of scripture as possible every year. So these readings are longer than say the 1979 prayer book, and they are not arranged according to the liturgical season as we see in the Canadian prayer book from 1962. If you have an option, um, feel free to alternate over the course of every year or two. When I first started using a daily lectionary to pray, I was using the, the, the one from Canada in the 1960s. And it was great to, to read in the daily office scripture readings that were focused in the liturgical season. It really helped me understand the church year much more so than reading about, uh, as we have in this, in this one, according to the 16 or the 1500s, I'm sorry, according to the, that prayer book where you're just reading lengthy portions of scripture that still ties together. It's still the word of God. It's still powerful. I'm not denigrating any of it, but just to say that if you want to alternate between those readings, you know, the lectionaries, please do so. The objective is to get as much of the word of God in you on, on a daily basis as you can. And that doesn't mean that you're going to get out your Greek and Hebrew apparatuses or your Latin Vulgates or multiple English translations and pour over it. It just means you're going to soak up scripture on a daily basis and let that reform your mind. You have to set aside other times for in-depth prayer, usually, but I think you get the point. Okay. Then you've got a couple of canticles you can, you can opt through. Notice that in morning prayer on page 20, there's no sermon there. Right after um, the, uh, the Benedictus or whatever the other canticle is, is, is where a sermon traditionally has been right before the Apostles' Creed. But in this form, there's no place for a sermon in either one of these, okay? Uh, morning, evening prayer, I mean, either one of these. Okay, uh, page 22, very lengthy set of rubrics here. The officiate the then prays one or more of the following collects, the collects for the day. This is when you would also add a collect for the feast of a saint that's being observed, a hero for the church, or any other particular collect from that section on occasional prayers that we mentioned that's, that's particular to pray because of needs that are around you. 
Okay. So you have a, a collect for each day and each one of them is topically arranged or signed. And then you get into collects for mission and, and uh, the general Thanksgiving. Okay. So that's a simple step through morning prayer. All right. Uh, flip. And, and you, uh, before we go to, to the next section, um, you'll see on the table of contents, morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, Compline, which is at night before you go to bed, family prayer. Right. Now these what, what Thomas Cranmer did was he took the hours of prayer that the monks had been keeping for, you know, over a millennia that got lifted out longer, much longer, like a millennia and a half for a long time uh, that they had picked out of um, the Jewish practices that existed in the old covenant that we see even the Pentateuch alluding to, you know, like um, Jacob is, is, is prayer prayerfully meditating, you know, in the evening and in the sunset. So evening prayer, we see that even in Genesis. Okay. But you've got the morning and the evening, uh, the evening and the morning, the first day, second day, third day, etc., in the old Testament. And so what Cranmer does is he takes all those hours of prayer and collapses them primarily into two times morning and evening. And then, uh, you know, we've, added back in and preserved other forms that are shorter and more conducive to other hours of the day, times of the day. Okay. So I would encourage you to just, you know, one morning, you know, you wake up and you're like, I've never prayed evening prayer because I don't pray evening prayer. Well, pray it, <laughs> give it a shot, learn, learn the form. And you'll, you'll appreciate the Fos Hilaron, which is one of the oldest Christian hymns outside of the writing of the New Testament. You'll find these things in your prayer book that are incredible benefits to, to your prayer life. Okay, please uh, flip to page 91. On page 91, we have what's called the Great Litany. All right. Now, the first version of this um, was written by Cramner or updated in 1544. And then he, he edited it because he got a lot of kickback on it. Because in the original, he, he was petitioning uh, the saints. He was seeking the adv advocation, the advocacy of the saints, um, which had been, you know, long-standing practice in the church east and west. And this particular great litany, and it's been fixed since, pretty much fixed since that revision a couple of years after 1544. I think 1546, 47 or so is when the form that he put out then has been essentially what's been maintained. And this is this is indicative of the entire mode of the prayer book is that most of the prayers are directed to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ in or by the Holy Spirit. There's a few prayers directly to the Lord Jesus, and there's, there's a very few directly to the Holy Spirit because we're Trinitarian Christians. We believe in the Trinity. So to address one person of the Trinity is to address all of God, to, to speak to all of God. Okay, so this is important. And we preserve the biblical description of prayer how does the bible teach us to pray and that's what the prayer book is articulating that we speak to the father through the son by the spirit and then there are those special occasions when we appeal to the son and occasions when we appeal to the spirit right we don't have anything in the in this prayer book or the other official prayer books that are direct invocations of the saints and the angels although the saints and the angels are mentioned by name a whole lot. So we are we are very much emphasizing that we're praying with them through all the iterations of the prayer book. Okay. So when you're naming, you know, the Blessed Virgin Mary or Michael the Archangel or Saint Stephen or or any of the other uh, saints 
and angels in the prayer book. When you name them when you're speaking to God, you're acknowledging that they're present um, as a member of the body of Christ, as a member of, of God's you know, elect group when we pray. You will discover in the Great Litany on page 91 that you can, this can be sung, kneeling, standing, or in procession. Lots of ways to pray the Great Litany. And you will pray for every conceivable thing you have thought of if you pray through it. According to the canons of 1604 of the Church of England, the Great Litany was to be prayed every Wednesday and every Friday in the cathedrals. I recommend that Lent is a great time to try that twice a week and just, and just see how much of what's going on in our own, own church life, the Christian church life, is directly addressed through the Great Litany. When people say, I don't know what to pray, I don't know how to pray, well, here is a wonderful way to begin praying and, and to, to cry out to God. And get, get, you know, pray it by yourself, get in person, get a second, another, get three people, do a conference call, you know, FaceTime, try it and watch what happens. It's, it's magnificent. It's wonderful. Okay. Uh, page 100, we find the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Here at our, our, our church, our parish, we, once a month, we recite the Decalogue in place of the summary of the law. It's good to remind, be reminded of the Ten Commandments and to also understand that the the summary of the law doesn't lessen the weight of the Ten Commandments. It heightens the weight of the Ten Commandments, just like the Sermon on the Mount doesn't negate the law of Moses, but lays greater responsibility on living more fully in the, in, according to God's plan and, and will than the law was able to do because the gospel is greater. All right. Uh, okay. Flip to page 105. So this is the Anglican standard text for Holy Communion. All right. Now, in this prayer book, you know, our College of Bishops has said, if you would like to arrange this according to the 1662 uh, pattern, you're welcome to do so, all right? But um, this, as we're going to walk through it, is not on that particular form. Um, but what is called here the Anglican Standard Text. So you'll notice on page 105, and the acclamations. And then if you need a seasonal acclamation, it's changed and it's not printed here. You go to page 145. That's what the rubrics are saying. So I'm pointing that out to show you that there are certain com components of the form and all of the prayer forms, all of the, the liturgical services that do not change. It's like having shoeboxes stacked. You, what goes in the shoeboxes can change, but the boxes are there, right? Or, or um or, or think of like a shelving units or something. You know, you got a filing cabinet. Well, the particular cabinets stay the same, but you can swap out different files in that cabinet. And so the form is the filing cabinet and the content is, are, are the files. And so you change the files based upon liturgical season and the need that you have in the moment, but you stick with the, the basic form, all right? So we have the acclamation. Page 106, the Collect for Purity. This particular prayer is pretty, pretty great. It was the prayer that was prayed by the clergy while they vested in preparation to celebrate the, the uh, Mass, to celebrate the, the Eucharist. But then Cranmer took it and had the whole church pray it. So that's one of the changes he, he did when he was editing and compiling it, all of the varieties of prayer books and prayer manuals um, in England in his time. We mentioned the summary of the law. 
you'll see the Kyrie and the Trisagione, the Gloria and Excelsis, the Collect of the Day. Again, you would flip into the you'd flip to the back to the Collects for the Christian year, and you would find the Collect for that week, which is assigned by date, right? So it's assigned by date or week of the particular season. First week of Christmas, second week of Christmas, and there's only two. There's four in Advent. Um, you get six to eight in Epiphany, so it can expand because Easter moves. So since the day for Easter moves, the collects and the scripture readings around on those Sundays around Easter um, can be edited you know, redacted, if you will, because the number of weeks change because they're floating holidays. Okay. And the prayer book accounts for all of this. Let's see. The Eucharistic prayers. Let's go to, and you can work on through the Anglican standard text or the renewed ancient text. And you'll see the same principle of here's an acclamation or here's you know, and you can change out what's there. Collects will change. The scripture readings will change. And then in italics, you find rubrics. Okay. All of that's beneficial. And again, you don't have to be celebrating that service to be participating in the service, to open the prayer book up and pray through those passages on your own time in a devotional way. And if you do so, again, I recommend that you do it because it's, it's just a profound focus for our scattered minds um, that so many people deal with today. Right. On page 233 is a pastoral rite for healing. This is reconciliation or confession. You find that you've got sin that you're wrestling with, or you're struggling with a disposition in your mind. You know, you're anxious, you're depressed, you're, you're lonely. Um, this is a rite for healing. Okay. So you open this up. If you would like to contact a priest or, you know, to, to pray with you, to be an actual confessor for you, then please do so. The prayer book makes provision for this. But then at the same time, it's good to open it up and pray it personally and to make use of the form uh, to expand upon your time of repentance and confession and not to make it um, so emotionally exhausting because that happens to us, especially when we're convicted. To become so emotionally exhausted, we never get through the process of repentance to the reception of God's grace to conduct our lives in a holy way, in a way that reflects the, the amendment of life. And by working through this form, again, that's a great blessing as well. Page 225, ministry to the sick. You're sick. Your friend's sick. Again, a great form filled with scripture and the way the church has practiced these things commanded in scripture for millennia are preserved for you in the prayer book. Okay. So praying through that uh, ministry to the dying, you know, if COVID didn't help a lot of people and I use help with quotations there, if, if COVID didn't put into perspective, the church needing to be around those who are suffering, It'd be very difficult. I, I wouldn't want to think about how we would facilitate that insistence for some folks. Okay. But you'll notice on page 236, the emphasis for Christians is victory and resurrection in the midst of death and of dying. And there's a litany that is particular to the ministry, uh, to minister to those who are dying on page 237 and 238. 
All right. Incredible. It's just incredible. I encourage you to open up your prayer book and look through it. Okay. Pray through it. Don't perceive the prayer book as something external to you, but understand it as the form that facilitates the fireplace that keeps the fire that, that, you know, helps the fire stay um, hot and, and fixed to provide warmth and security without burning down your house. All right. Um, let's go into something a little different. I mentioned the Psalms already, and you can see that if you're not familiar with that, you can pick up pretty quickly how they've set that up. On page 200 or 470 is the preface to the ordinal. What is the ordinal? The ordinal is how you ordain bishops, priests, and deacons. So this form, you'll notice on, on page 470, the preface to the ordinal, that the they say just clearly, the Holy Scriptures and ancient authors teach that from the apostles' time, the apostles' time, these three orders of ministry have existed in Christ's church, bishops, priests, and deacons. From the earliest days of the church, these offices were always held in such reverent estimation, et cetera, et cetera, and keep going on. I, I refer to that because they're pointing out anyone who goes back and starts to read anyone from the earliest fathers discovers that these forms of ministry have been the universal practice of the Christian church. There was never anything different. And so here we have and, and the, the form for ordaining all three of these orders. And the form here is lifted from those same ancient practices that have just been referenced in the, in the preface. So go back to Hippolytus of Rome, who describes the prayers that were prayed. Go back and look at the apostolic constitutions. Go back and look at the other liturgies in the ancient and the early church. And you'll discover that the Anglican form here is preserving all of that. And then within it, are the particular aspects of the Reformation that we preserve and maintain. And here's a, here's a key element of the Reformation uh, distinctive that's in this that doesn't nullify any of it, but in fact enhances it. Bishops and priests are given copies of the Bible. Yeah, it's a big deal. Remember, books in that sense had only been invented in the 1400s. Handing some, well, books have been older than that, but you know, mass-produced books that were easy to give out and not just handwritten copies, okay, uh, had been a pretty recent in invention at the time. And so when they compiled this and they, they, they edited the forms from the ancient church, they put this in here as a gift that not only does the priest receive a chalice, which had been standing practice, but now he rece receives a copy of scripture. Preach the word. Preach the word. Right? So I encourage you to pray through the ordination or services for bishops, priests, and deacons. And you'll discover what those offices mean and what their responsibilities are and what those people should expect in light of their own judgment based upon the charges and the oaths that are laid upon them. In the same way that Paul does this to Timothy in, his, in, in the New Testament, we see this the living voice of the church, of God, through the church here in the ordinal. Okay? Um, I know I'm going, going kind of long here, and I hope it's not getting too complicated. Um, but if you, if you're flipping with me still, you're still here, let's go to not occasional prayers. I'm going to get something into something that gets a bit more complicated. All right. Uh, page 687 to the calendar, 687. 
This is a huge help to people, all right? So here's the introduction and explains the calendar. Two cycles of holy days. Christian year consists, you can split it in half, basically, okay? We've got half that focuses on the ministry and life of Jesus, and half that's ordinary time, where we're focusing on the life and mission of the church. And these, these two are obviously interdependent because Christ is known through his church, okay? So you get a description of those, those things on page 687. On 688, you get the seven principal feast days. So there's seven major feasts or principal feasts in the Christian calendar. Easter, Ascension, the day of Pentecost, Trinity, Christmas, Epiphany, and All Saints Day. Okay. Then you get a list of other holy days, often called red letter days. You can see the list of those, right? Days of discipline, denial, and special prayer. Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are the, the only two days in the prayer book tradition that are days of fasting that it's, that it's required. Okay. Now there are other days for fasting, like Ember days. Okay. I'm not saying there's none of the days to fast, but those are like the two principal days of discipline and, and denial. Okay. You see this ex explained here, right? On page 689. And then rogation days. Rogation days, I anticipate in our parish will become more important as we get bigger and have the capacity to go around and bless farms. Agriculture is a big deal for all of us, even though most of us are disconnected from the actual rhythms of, um, you know, harvesting, of sowing and, and reaping. Okay. Uh, then we have the national days that we have as Americans and North Americans that are there. Commemorations on page 690. All right. Now the calendar. So page 691, you have the Christian calendar. And it's broken in this prayer book into three categories. Red letter holy days. Optional memorial Anglican days that are particular to our Anglican tradition. For those that don't know, the Anglican communion is the third largest Christian communion in the world right now. Uh, right around 85 or 90 million is, is the numbering. Um, the numbers change, you know, based upon how you want to reckon and count that, you know, how many people are in, attend church, how many are faithful, how many are actually disciples. You get different figures for that. Um, and we all want to see that change. But we want to highlight, obviously, this Anglican tradition that we are part of. And then the third category is ecumenical, meaning of other Christian groups and denominations, Roman Catholic, uh, the Eastern Orthodox, uh, pre-schism, you know, very, very early Christian history. And then others that are not like Billy Graham's on here as a ecumenical feast day, right? Even though he was not Anglican or Roman Orthodox, et cetera. But the evidence that he was a member of the body of Christ who was used by God powerfully in evangelism, we want to recognize that charism and acknowledge it. Okay, so that's the, the calendar. That is a big ben benefit as well, because if you go into the to, to, to the occasional prayer section and read through um, about the communion of the saints prayers, you know, we give thanks to God for the strength and the fellowship of the saints who have gone before us. And one of the ways that we principally experience that is through remembering particular saints on their calendar days, their feast days. And then, obviously, All Saints Day on November 1st, all right? Um, I mentioned the lectionary already, but again, because we're moving through the prayer book, uh, go to page 716 again. 
well, not again, but this is this is for the Sunday lectionary, not the morning and evening prayer. And there's two, okay? So you have a lectionary, which are the readings for morning and evening prayer that's daily. Then you have the lectionary that's for Sundays. And the Sunday lectionary is built around a three-year cycle, A, B, and C. Very simple, all right? And they're, they're divided according to the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the Gospel of John is read every year, large portions of it every year. But A is Matthew, B is Mark, and C is Luke. We are in year C right now. And so Luke is our gospel, uh, primary gospel text every Sunday this year, with the exception when we read the gospel of John, okay? You've got an Old Testament. You've got a psalm of response, a song, essentially, a psalm of response to the Old Testament. The New Testament reading. And then you have the gospel reading. And that's how a Sunday lectionary works based upon a three-year cycle, okay? If you're in church every Sunday for three years, you're going to hear almost the entire Bible read to you. You will hear the Word of God. And if you hear the Word of God and believe, as the Bible teaches us, you will be transformed. The regular hearing of the Word of God. Even in the book of Revelation, blessed is the one who reads and the one who hears the words of this book. And this is what we have happening in the lectionary. We're hearing the word to believe it and be changed by it. Okay. Page 730, you will discover holy day readings. So here are the particular readings for the holy days that, um, that don't change. They're fixed readings. Okay. Now, um, lastly, I want to say, and this is going to be a much shorter one because I, my hope is that you would break open the prayer book if you're listening in the car you know, or wherever you can open your prayer book up tonight at some point and, and flip through it or tomorrow morning in your prayer time. Um, but lastly, I want to mention this. On page 766, we have the fundamental declarations of the province. <laughs> a lot of syllables, right? Fundamental declarations of the province. So we've got seven principal declarations that are fundamental for us, meaning we don't change them. They don't change. So in the prayer book in the back here, we find this clear presentation of what it means to be an Anglican and the necessary articulation we have to present today because of the issues of today. Remember, every generation of Christians deals with its own particular sets of challenges, heresies, schisms, etc. Every generation does. And so one of the things that happens in every epoch, I should say, Every epoch has to rightly define the gospel against those errors. And the fundamental declarations is a way that that's being done for the whole province. All right. Um, I'm not going to give you the, the, the file in this file drawer, but you can turn to it and see it. Okay. You can see what they are. I will say that they highlight things like the word of God, the primacy of the word of God, the, the dominical sacraments, the godly episcopate, um, the creeds the seven councils, uh, et cetera. One of them that it emphasizes is the 39 articles, all right, which is also printed in the back. I'll touch on that in a minute. On page 768, we have the College of Bishops making a couple uh, provisional ad adaptations to major portions of the liturgy, notably the filioque. In the Nicene Creed, the, uh, the Church in the West uh, inserted of the Son, in the Nicene Creed, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, and they inserted the phrase, and of the Son, or filioque in Latin. 
that was never an agreement that the East and the West came, they made together when they wrote the creed. It was a later edition. And this is an example where our college of bishops are saying, you can cut the filioque from your confession of the Nicene Creed and keep with older Christian practice. All right. Um, and there's two other ones there, but we could talk about that at another time. The, uh, the Athanasian Creed is on page 769. This is a big deal because in the latter portion of the 1800s, the, there were a lot of Episcopal and other Anglican groups and other mainline groups that rejected the Athanasian Creed uh, for different reasons, mostly because of uh, the opening sentence, whoever will be saved before all things that is necessary that he hold to the Catholic faith. And then they go on and they define the Trinity, right? In a very detailed way, which is great. Uh, but they are clear, at the ver as the very last sentence says, this is the Catholic faith, the bottom of 771, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. And so because the, the, the church insisted that you had to believe in the Trinity to be saved, uh, and there was a rising um, latitudinarian or broad, broad church approach to acknowledging like universalism or Unitarianism as it was, was rising in those days. They backed away from that. That is terrible. That is an atrocious thing to do. Well, thankfully, the College of Bishops have put this in our prayer book as a foundational document. We do not have authority to change the boundaries and the parameters that have been set by our forebears. Uh, you know, scriptures insisted upon this, right? Okay, um, page 772 is the 39 Articles of Religion. And we receive the 39 Articles as artic articulations of the challenges, the issues of the time. So some of them still apply. Some of them were because of what they were dealing with at the time, okay? We don't have time to go through all 39 Articles. Maybe we'll do a podcast just on those. But you'll notice reading through them, how incredibly beneficial they are and how representative they are of what you could call old Catholicism, right? What they, how they represent Catholicity and the high church belief system of the Anglican um, way of being Christian, which is not distinct from Catholic. Remember that, right? To be Anglican is to be Catholic. It's just not to be Roman or Greek. It's to, to recognize that patrimony that we have that goes back to the first century, uh, to, to Jerusalem itself, right? The 39 articles, unlike the 1979 Book of Common Prayer, where they're called um, historical documents, these are not just historical documents for us. They are foundational documents. They're what we call formularies. So the 39 articles, the Book of Common Prayer, the ordinal, um, th those are some of the formularies that we as as and Anglicans hold to and, and preserve, not because we see them as something that is contrary or extra to Scripture and that they're equal to Scripture, but we see them as the developments in time of the Holy Spirit working to help the church articulate what the Bible teaches uniformly and categorically as true and for all people, that they are the the formularies help us 
proclaim God's unchanging gospel to a changing world, knowing that every culture needs to be challenged and healed by the gospel and not vice versa. And when you call things like the 39 Articles historical documents and not foundational, then what you've done is you have set yourself up to, to nullify them and to change them in a way that's contrary to what the scripture has taught all the time. Now, we hold to the primacy of scripture, solo scriptura, in the most magisterial sense that the reformers meant. If the 39 articles can be proven, proven false through scripture, they need, they need to be changed. But they've stood the test of time. And where they are emphatic, because they're, they're expressing universal gospel truths, we keep them. And where they're dealing with historical errors of the time, uh, things of the time, we note that. And that is preserved for us in the, in, in the prayer book in the back here as well. Okay. Last thing I want to touch on is the Jerusalem Declaration on page 791. So in 2008, because of the changes in the global Anglican communion, GAFCON, the primates got together in Jerusalem, the primates being the archbishops and key leaders of the, of the uh, Orthodox Anglican world. And they issued these um, 14 points called the Jerusalem Declaration, which is reasserting the primacy of the gospel, of the canonical books of scripture, uh, preserving the Apocrypha, you know, the, the, the Dominical sacraments, but keeping, you know, the, the other commonly called sacraments as we refer to them in the, the 39 articles, okay? Um, the power of the spirit, united mission, you know, the councils, the creeds, everything that I just mentioned, they double down on uh, as keeping, okay? It's great stuff. Oh, and at the very end, you'll see from 1549 and then in 1662, the prefaces to those prayer books of those, those epochs. And I recommend them to you. Well, lastly, my friends, my apologies that uh, this is not a, a jovial, uh, exciting podcast. But I hope that as you're moving through Lent, oh, oh, excuse me. Uh, Caleb, can you cut that sneeze? <laughs> if not, then our folks who've gotten this far could hear me sneeze on the podcast. Um, we will find here, you'll find here a way to use the prayer book. So it's not burdensome, but it's, um, it strengthens the form and the life-giving nature of what we, we seek to do here. So may God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit shine upon you, bless you, and keep you, and help you in your observance of a holy Lent. Once again, I'm Daryl, and the crew will be back next week. Mm -hmm.